Thank you, Dan and choir and children, instrumentalists for beautiful worship this morning. We come to the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been preaching through the Matthean Gospel, and some of you thought we'd never get here, but here we are in Matthew chapter 28. We'll go back next week and look at the Christmas story from Matthew, and we will be wrapping up Matthew 28. We're beginning reading in in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said, Come and and see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. With fear and great joy. And ran to report it to the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them and came upon them, and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and and take word to my brethren to leave Galilee, and there they shall see me. Pastor Fred Craddock once worshiped in a church. He wasn't pastoring this church, but had 15-year tradition of displaying 500 lilies at the altar at Easter. Why, sometimes they were in just a, a big bank of lilies, and other times they were in the shape of a cross, and sometimes they were just strewn across the, the stage like an artist's brush, a lily here and a lily there, like a, a canvas, beautiful memorial lilies, and people paid $5 each for the 500 lilies, and there was an insert in the bulletin. You've seen this done, and they listed all the names of people who were being remembered by the memorial lilies, and well, 500 lilies, $5 each, beautiful sight. The congregation loved this tradition. It was the 16th year of the memorial lilies, and Well, it it just all fell apart. One elderly member of the church, a woman, went up after the morning service and said, I'm going to the hospital to visit a friend. Uh, Can I take one of the lilies to the room, to the hospital room? Now, I know I can't tell which one I gave, but they're all the same, aren't they? All $5 lilies. I'll just take one and take it to her, to the hospital. And, well, she asked the question, but she really didn't get an answer. She just went forward and grabbed a lily and she paused kind of oddly and, and turned around in a shocked voice, said to those who were still mingling in the sanctuary, they're plastic. Well, there was a lot of concern over there being plastic. 
We gave $5 for those lilies. If they're plastic, maybe we gave $5 for those same plastic lilies the year before. And well, maybe for 15 years, we've been buying those same plastic lilies over and over again. And committees met and huddles formed. There were official and unofficial discussions and the whole tradition collapsed. And someone came with a figure that in 15 years, they'd paid $37,500 for those plastic lilies. Now the minister, the pastor tried to gather everybody together and defend the practice of the plastic lilies. He said they kept them in a cool place and covered in the dark and they had lasted for years and saved money and they were beautiful and the money had gone to the contingency fund for benevolent causes that were not in the budget. He assured them the money was all accounted for and all gone to very good causes and some people bought the pastor's explanation and others did not. But then he had a a line that was theological, a line of defense. He said, after all, after all, the plastic lilies are more appropriate for Easter because they're always in bloom, he argued. They never die. And then he said, we don't want to waste Easter. Now, personally, I, I don't like plastic plants of any sort, lilies, poinsettias, geraniums, or daisies. Some of you like them, and that's okay. They're not real. They're organic. They gather dust. I want nothing to do with them. It's okay if you like them. I just don't. But one thing is right. Easter is an awful thing to waste. Unlike the forever living plastic lilies, Jesus, at the end of Matthew, is dead. He's not sleeping. He's dead. Acts 5, what's the proclamation of the earlier church? This Jesus whom you hanged on the tree, God raised from the dead. John 20, Jesus in resurrected bodily form says, see the scars See the nail prints. And Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. The little translation is, Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the corpses. He's dead. Ask the soldiers, they'll tell you. You talking about the one in the middle? Yep, yep, he's dead. You ask the disciples. Well, we really didn't stay all that close, you know. It was getting dangerous. We got off to a safe distance, but yeah, dead's dead. We know dead when we see it. He was dead. Ask the women who prepared the body. Yep, yep, yep. They would say he was, he was dead. Ask Mary. Mary would say, I know what you're going to ask. He was dead. The point is, it's not Christmas anymore in Matthew, by the time you get to chapter 28 and verse 1, somebody go and tell the shepherds it was a mistake. Go back, go your way. And if anybody's heading north, you stop by Ramah and you tell Rachel all that crying that she was doing that we thought was out of place. She was right. Keep on crying. And the carols we sing this morning, well, well, with a dead Jesus, they're quite silly, aren't they? It's not Christmas anymore. You tell the wise men, those were really nice gifts, but thanks anyway. You tell Herod, 
he was right again. In fact, it's really naive of us to think we could have changed anything. It's not even Palm Sunday anymore. You tell Pilate, don't you worry about your position. Rome is safe. And you tell Caiaphas, he was right. It was expedient for one man to die for the whole nation. He's right. Political expediency wins out over the dreams of the disenfranchised poor. It's not Christmas anymore in Matthew. It's over, and you feel the dull ache of the lost. The lost campaign of the Messiah. Have you ever been involved in a lost campaign? The people went to the polls and it was Barabbas by landslide. All in favor of Barabbas, raise your right hand. We don't even need to count the votes. Barabbas won. Somebody needs to go down to the lobby and tell our supporters and workers, I know they're downtrodden, but you have to. Somebody has to go to the mic. Yes, I made a call to our opponents. Apparently, you are the people's choice, Barabbas. The campaign is over. I want to thank you. You've all worked so hard. It's been expensive. And, well, we haven't lost everything. I don't want you to be despondent. We've come to love and care for each other through this Jesus movement. And, and sometimes in the future, maybe we can get together and remember it. We'll not remember that Jesus is dead, but we'll remember something Losing is, is kind of like dying. Did you ever lose? Just lose? They lost. The disciples had that same dull ache that you have when there's a death in the family. It's the most confusing, meaningless time there is. Everything is in slow motion and you just want to get through the funeral and you want it to be over. And there's people all around you talking to you, people you don't even know, and bringing all that food, hungry all your life. And now that you can't eat all this food, make a list, Rachel, of who brought the food. We need to return the dishes. We'll have to send thank you notes. Let them come get the dishes, she says. We didn't ask for this food. Now, Rachel, that's a bad attitude. You have to make a list. I'll send the thank yous. Don't send thank you notes. Just buy those that already say thank you and stick them in the dishes when we hand them back to the people. Now, that's no way to treat our friends, Rachel. Are you going to clean out Jesus' room yet, Mama? Oh, not now. Well, when you do, James wants his carpenter's apron and his hammer. Okay, Mary says, maybe next week. Dead. Dead. Over half the people in the world live their lives on Saturday. Somewhere between Good Friday, the death, and Sunday, the resurrection, whether it's an infant or old people whistling, it doesn't matter. They are stuck on Saturday, and they live their life in the grief and the loss of death on Saturday. Easter is a terrible thing, a terrible thing to waste. I don't want us to waste the resurrection. Our text in Matthew, the women, Mary of Magdala, the other Mary, they, they make their way to the grave. An earthquake has occurred. An angel of the Lord has descended from heaven and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And he, you catch that phrase, he looked like lightning. 
The angel looked like lightning. His garments as white as snow. If somebody looks like lightning comes to see me, I'm going to shake with fear and be dead too. That's the way the guards were. The angels are clad in white and they declare to the women the first words, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he's lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And they left the tomb quickly, verse 8. Here's the, the strange marriage with joy and great fear. They left the announcement of the empty tomb with joy. This is the Sunday of joy. With joy and great fear. The angel has just said those first words, do not be afraid, but they are afraid. They leave the tomb with joy and great fear. And then Jesus, he meets them along the way. The first words Jesus says to them are, do not be afraid. He wants them to have the joy without the fear. It's not a good combination to have joy and fear. Do not be afraid. If we were to take a poll out in the street and say, what's the most off-sighted command in the Bible? Some people would get close. Some people would be far off. Some guy might say, well, don't lie. That's the truth. God loves the truth. The most oft-repeated commandment in the Bible is don't lie. And somebody else would say, say your daily prayers. Say your daily prayers. That's the commandment in the Bible. They would be wrong. And someone else would say, well, maybe it's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. Well, those are important commandments, maybe the most important according to the Bible, but they're not the most often repeated. The most oft-repeated commandment in all of Scripture is... Do not be afraid. Right here twice in Matthew 28. The first word of the lightning angels sitting upon the stone is, Do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen. The first word of the resurrected Jesus in Matthew's gospel is, Do not be afraid afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the message of Easter. It's the message of Christmas, isn't it? It's all, it's all going to be all right. Easter proves it so. Oh, they had every reason to be afraid, didn't they? An earthquake, an angel, guard struck down as if they're dead, a cosmic disturbance, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has gone to his death with the weight of all evil upon his back, and the earth itself has quaked in the commotion. It's a cosmic event. They've gone back looking for a corpse, and God has a message. Don't be afraid. God has started a brand new world, a brand new age, the age 
of the resurrection and you're part of it. That's what the Christmas message comes to in full fruition. Do not be afraid. Think all the way back to that other gospel writer, Luke, the physician. The shepherds are out in the field, and they see a bright light, and they are so afraid. They are terribly frightened. And the angel's first words, the first word at Easter is, do not be afraid. The first word of Christmas is, do not be afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. You cannot have fear and joy together. Fear not, for behold, I'm going to give you joy instead. It's good news for all people everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the King. This shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Don't be afraid. Have the joy of Christ. We've all experienced the fear after death, haven't we? We've all felt like those disciples have felt. Hosanna to the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The shouts of Messianic acclamation were still ringing in the disciples' ears. Just a week earlier, Jesus had been top of a cult just earlier. Jesus was on top of Rome. The pilgrims were praising. The stones were about to sing. And, well, now there was nothing but the deafening roar, the silence of death. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their jobs and their families and their futures they created Jesus in their own image of a Messiah with Jesus sitting on the throne and they were going to set up a chair to the right and the left and they were fighting about who would be in those positions of power. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. You cannot have the arrival of the Messiah without a Christ. And Messiahs don't hang on trees. The Old Testament tells you that. That's for the cursed people. It's all over. After the funeral, it's hard to know what to do, isn't it? How do you move on? You've buried the body, but how do you bury the despair? How do you bury that hollow pit in your stomach? There's no pain like the pain of standing at the graveside and knowing it's, it's over. No fear like the fear after the funeral. Your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, your grandparent, your son or your daughter. It's at moments when we realize how dreadful the enemy of death truly is. It's that fear that those first followers of Jesus had. Evil does its worst, but Easter tells us that evil has failed. In fact, in John 14, the resurrected Jesus says, or just before his death, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you, therefore do not let your heart be troubled, nor let your heart be, what's he say? Afraid. Afraid. Easter is not about the empty tomb of one man. It's about the beginning of the age of the resurrection. And Paul tries to tell us that in in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, who has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be abolished is death. You see, the Christmas story starts a story that doesn't end with the empty tomb of of one rabbi named Jesus. It ends with a cosmic disturbance of death being defeated and each in its own order, Christ the first. I began by reading a passage in Revelation 1-5. And from Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Behold, he's coming in the clouds with every eye will see him. And those who crucified him and the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Amen, says Revelation. John is writing in his apocalypse that Jesus is the firstborn. The little translation, he's the firstborn amongst the corpses not about one rabbi dying and ending up with a miracle of an empty tomb. It's about all of death being defeated for those who say Jesus is Lord. Paul says it another way in Romans 6, if we die with him, likewise we also rise with him. Well, you can be sad about the death of the one that you love, but you cannot be afraid. We cannot live our lives on Saturday. We've experienced Good Friday. We've seen the death of our Christ. We've seen all the power of evil, but we've also experienced Sunday. That's why we're here. It's this day, the day of the power of the resurrection. We cannot get stuck on Saturday. Not God's people. For God's people do not have to be afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Fear not, if you're going to have joy, for unto you is born today in the, the city of David, Bethlehem, The one you've been looking for, a Savior. Yeah, Christ the Lord. Oh, it's a surprising sign. He'll have on scrap claws and he'll be lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with that angel heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Are you stuck on Saturday? Do you need to arrive with those women at the tomb on Sunday? Do you need to see the lightning appearance of the angel of the Lord who says, go and tell. 
Get the word out. He is not here. For just like he said, he's risen. And they leave with fear and joy. And Jesus doesn't like the fear. First words he says when he meets them, knowing their hearts, he says, don't be afraid. Christmas means we don't have to be afraid ever again. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for the powerful message of Christmas. The Sunday of joy. Good news of great joy for all people everywhere. Oh God, maybe there's someone watching by way of television. This would be her day or his day to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To say, I'm a sinner and I need to, to come and bring my sins to the cross. And I need to lead them at the feet of Jesus. Let his blood be my blood and his death be my death. Death to sin. Maybe there's others who need to come and be a part of this great congregation that wants to tell not only Amarillo, but the whole world. We want to join our voices, the voices of that host of angels. Glory to God in the highest. However you would call us, oh God, may we respond in absolute obedience. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.